0: We appreciate your uh, faithfulness to the chapel and to the Lord. Uh, if you cannot give for whatever reason today, we love you just as equally. We love that you're a part of our little family here, and uh, we pray that, that God would show you and provide for you and increase to you so that you might be able to give as well. Um, give cheerfully, give happily, um, and give from your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and today we give to you not because we are obligated. We give to you because we love your, your word says that you first gave to us before we ever gave anything to you. So Lord, we aren't here to complete a transaction or to curry your favor. We're just simply here to exemplify what you have already done. You have given to us, so now we give back to you. I thank you that the giving provides for heat of this place and lights and, and salaries and, and for equipment and, and sound stuff. And it just provides coffee and all the different things that we need here at the chapel. And I pray that you would continue to sustain this place uh, as long as you have a mission for South Bay Chapel. Bless those who give today, Lord. Bless those who cannot give today. And may we uh, may you open our hearts and minds and souls to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So as you give, open your Bibles to... We're going to start in 2 Timothy. Well, don't open your Bibles yet. I pray you have your Bible. Kids, you can go back with... Uh, Pastors uh, Justin and Kristen to uh, have kids church. Have, what? Oh, when is that? Oh, okay. One more date to add to our list of dates. March 18th at the, on the 6th. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. March 18th at 6 p.m. is the next women's service. If you have any uh, questions, ladies, about the details, talk to uh, Lucy or Jenny and they'd be able to help you out. Okay. You're welcome, sorry about that. Um, Did anybody read this week that, and maybe maybe I'm just a Bible nerd and I'm the only one that cares about this, but I doubt that, seriously. Um, Are you familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Have you heard of that? Maybe you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, but you've heard that term. Um, Well, a series of caves were discovered in about the 1940s um, that contained clay jars filled with parchments, uh, parchments made out of uh, sheepskin, and, uh, and gazelle skins, and some made out of, out of copper, and they were preserved by a group called the Essenes. They, they buried these, or took them, and put them in these caves, and because of the dry uh, nature of where the, the, these uh, caves were, it preserved these uh, parchments uh, for centuries. And uh, for decades since, uh, archaeologists have continued to look for more caves, their suspicion is that this is not, these were not the only 11 caves, that there was more. Well, this week they found another. Or I should say this week they announced that they have found another, a 12th cave. Unfortunately, there was nothing in the cave except for some scraps that had already been raided or, or, or someone had already found it first and nobody knows what happened to the contents of it. The, the theological importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls cannot be overstated. Um, it confirmed many of the Old Testament Books that had been written and contested, they were confirmed by the writings that were found within these caves, and some of the earliest dates of the manuscripts that were in in hand by theologians and by uh, you know seminaries and colleges and, and different groups and organizations, they were able to push those this parchment. They were a thousand years older than the ones that they had had previously. The it's like finding twenty dollars in the street, but then as you pull it out, 20s just keep coming out. It's just archaeological, theological gold. But my question is, I mean, as cool as that is, and I'm kind of nerdy, especially with Bible ar- biblical archaeology, it's just a really fun subject for me. Why are they still looking? I mean, maybe it's just curiosity, maybe it's just the, the thrill of the hunt, but why are they still looking? They're still looking because no book on the face of the earth is more contested than the Bible. It's the most loved, it's the most revered, it's the, the, the most widely distributed, best-selling, but also the most hated and the most contested of all the books of the world. I would even wager to say that more people hate the Bible than they hate things like uh, the, the Satanic Bible. I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody protesting that, right? People are still looking for evidence whether it's to confirm or, or contradict what the word of God says. And they do that for one specific reason. It claims to be the word of God. We're going to talk about the Bible today. And we've talked about a lot of subjects over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about giving. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the church and, and what we believe about these things. But all of that is based on what the word of God says. And so the question has to be, but why the Bible? What? Why is this book different than any other book? Why is this book held in so high regard and such high esteem by, by billions of people around the world? Why, why not the, the, the Quran or the Book of Mormon or you know, uh, the writings of men like Confucius? Why, why aren't those on the same level as the Holy Bible? The Holy Bible makes very serious, big, bold claims. I want to make a few quick points about that. And uh, my first couple of points, uh, my source is from a man named Mark Driscoll. Um, the first four points are, are, are his. I want to attribute that to him. Um, but I built on that and I added more that I thought kind of added to uh, the importance of why we, why we believe the Bible is indeed the word of God. Um, number one, we believe that the word of God is the word of God because the word of God says it's the word of God. And I know that sounds weird. God even talks about how, how can he testify? How can he give testimony uh, and add somebody else to support him? Why, why does he need somebody else to confirm what he has said? And, and, and so for his word, he claims that his word is his word. The Bible says that the word of God is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Just an interesting side note. I, I'm not going to teach or preach on any of those little points there, um, but those are uh, good reasons why we, we need the Bible. It does all of these things in our life for us. So the Word of God says that it is the Word of God. It may, now, to me, maybe to you too, that's a bold claim that's not saying I'm a good book. That's not saying this is a holy book or a set apart book. This is the book of books. God breathed it out. And the same way that he breathed life into the nostrils of Adam, he breathed out this word that we now read and listen uh, and we listen to when we're taught by and is preached to us. It says that that, that scripture, the, all scripture is breathed out and it's good for doing something in your life. It's an agent of change in you. So we believe that the word of God is the word of God because it says it's the word of God. Number two, Jesus says it's the word of God. I don't know about you, but I hold, hold the words of Jesus in very high regard. And that's to put it lightly. And Matthew 5 and 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them constantly through the gospels. Jesus quotes uh, quotes the Old Testament. When Jesus is challenged by Satan, he quotes the Old Testament. He refers to creation. He excuse me, he refers to men like Moses and Noah. He doesn't say, you know that you know that metaphorical guy, Noah? You know, it's, it's just a story to teach us right and wrong. No, he says, you know that man, Noah? When, when the end of times comes, it'll be like what it was when he was alive. Jesus doesn't even argue the existence of men like Noah and Moses and David. He just says that they are because he knows that they are. Jesus testifies to and affirms the authenticity and the reliability of the word of God. So the Bible says it's the word of God. Jesus says it's the word of God. And then there's prophecy. Prophecy is um, two things. One, it's the public declaration of God's word boldly. To prophetically preach, to, to, to declare the word of God boldly. Not just with energy or enthusiasm. I mean, boldly can be, you know, very solemn and somber but it's saying, it's declaring the word of God uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, especially in places where maybe it's contested or, or maybe it's even illegal to, to preach the word of God. Prophecy, number one is that, but prophecy is also the, the, the giving of a word to an individual about something that's going to happen in the future. It's not fortune telling, it's not soothsaying, it's not something you can conjure up, it's not something you can make happen. For those who have worked, in this prophetic gift, you can read the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can find uh, men and women in the church today who have this anointing. They do not make it happen. It happens when the Lord moves upon them to do so. They share a word. They de- declare it to you or to a group or to a church or even maybe even to the nation. And it's, the, it's, it's God speaking. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, there are hundreds of both um, generally and specifically uh, given prophecies about Jesus alone. Things about where he would be born, uh, how he would be born, uh, meaning to a virgin mother, um, the time he would be born. You read the prophet uh, Daniel, and and, and God gives him a vision of when this Messiah would come. But I want to read to you right now Isaiah 53. If you've never read Isaiah 53, good. Tell me who this is I'm talking about. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before the shears is silent. so he, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the Lord and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Long chapter, but one of the most amazing chapters of all the Bible. Who's that speaking of? Without even, without even thinking, you could just take one or two verses from there and realize, oh, that's Jesus. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Jesus died for our iniquities. Jesus was sinless, yet he took the sin of men upon himself. Because he has died, we can now live. This prophecy through the prophet Isaiah was given 700 years. 700 years before Jesus was actually born and walked upon this earth. I've read it said, I've read it once, or I've heard it said, in a book I read, I can't remember the book. Um, It it was by a, uh, it was called Be Intolerant. It it was a play on words. We should be tolerant. Um, But he gave this analogy. He said, you know, for, for, someone to meet all of the messianic prophecies to fulfill them completely, um, the odds are astronomical. You could take uh, silver dollars and cover the state of Texas three feet deep with them and throw one red one just in the middle somewhere. The odds of finding that red one on the first try are not as great as fulfilling every messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. This is mind-blowingly... accurate, while at the same time, just devastating to us. God shared this with these men who delivered it to groups, hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And now in the New Testament, including some of the Old Testament, we have prophecies about Jesus's return, the promise that he would come back to, to take us to the place that he's been preparing for us. We believe that the Bible is actually God's word because of the, prof- the prophecies that have been fulfilled based on what it says. We believe that the Bible is the Bible because it transforms lives. John 17, 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer to his disciples. He says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus praying to the Father on the behalf of of the disciples in his church saying, sanctify them by your word, your word is truth. When we commit our lives to Christ, when we decide, as as the last song we sang, as we decide to follow Jesus, that is a life-changing, life-altering event for you. Nothing will be the same from that point out. Pleasure will be better, pain will be deeper, more meaningful, and more people will learn from it than any other time of your life. You will look back at the old man that you were or the old woman that you were, and you will recoil. You'll say, I can't believe that was me. And I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. But what, what an amazing thing God has done in me. My desires, my tastes, my instincts are all different because I am being sanctified by the word God of truth. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In in the Bible, it, it says, you know, don't just, don't just have this, you know, passing relationship with Jesus through his word. Be, let it dwell in you richly. Let it, Let it be such a part of you. Try to, uh, in all of your own power, assisted and, and led forward by the Holy Spirit, just delve into it. And even if you come away with, I don't get this, man, you have richly dwelled in God's Word. I love that Paul doesn't say richly understand God's word. He says richly dwell in it because as you dwell in it, as you become more familiar with it, you start seeing, you start seeing uh, connecting points throughout the word and how all those connecting points come back to Jesus. We believe that the Bible, we believe we have to do it. I know this sounds kind of simple. James 1 and 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I am, uh, I love, uh, okay, let's go back a little bit. There are two ways that people generally approach the word and the church and Jesus in general, emotionally or intellectually. And both these camps look at each other a little funny. Like intellectual Christians look at emotional ones and say, oh, you're just being emotional. Emotional ones, look at intellectual ones, and all you guys are just Bible nerds, and, you know, you got to have an experience, and it's got to be moving, and i got to feel something. And the truth is, neither one of these are right or wrong. It's two pieces of the same puzzle, or, or two sides to the same coin. We need both camps to be together. Not everyone will be intellectual about the word. Not everyone will be emotional about the word. But together, we'll be both. It's the beauty of the church coming together and fitting in as puzzle pieces, not individually standing out like, uh, you know, towers of themselves. But James says, do the word of God. Don't just hear it. Don't just have an emotional experience. Don't just intellectually understand it. Go and do it. Let me give you a parable. You tell your child, go clean your room. Maybe you have got three kids. You tell all three kids, go clean your rooms. And they go upstairs and you come back 20 minutes later and the room's not clean. And you start questioning your kids, well, why? And the first one says, well, Dad, I really started to examine what you said. When you said, go clean our rooms, you know, I thought it was so important that I go. And so I, I went. I went, Father. I, I went to my room. And then I, I, I began to study the original context of what you said and the time of the day. And, okay, move on to the next thing. Why didn't you go, Dad, I was just so happy that you spoke to me. I was just so happy that, you know, you and I, we have this relationship and it was just so great, Lord, uh, dad, sorry. I, I'm just, I was so uh, so moved by your attention to me and I just had, I just, I was just so moved I couldn't do anything. Third kid, just rebellious. We're not gonna include him at all anymore in this. What's the dad want? Clean the room the intellectual, the emotional, those aren't bad things, but if you're only doing those and not completing the work, not doing what dad says, then you're being disobedient. No matter how moved you are, no matter how much you understood the instruction, if you do not do the word of God, you are in rebellion to the word of God. You mu- So when the Bible says, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you must do that. To love your neighbor, uh, Cole, Justin and Kristen's boy, he said, hey, how do you... How do you um? How do you deal with an? What, what do you say? Basically, like how do you um? How do you turn an enemy? How, how you change an enemy? Uh, you become a friend. You know, like oh, that was that's a really good lesson. He's all in his Cub Scout uniform and stuff, so he's all like, you know, doing one of these, and I am like, that's awesome. That's a really good lesson. The Bible tells us to pray for our enemies, so we must be praying for our enemies. To give to the needy, to to bless those who are not blessed, to love those who are unloved to give to those who have nothing, to serve the church and the world, to serve those who will never return anything for us, to serve those who could return to us, but we don't care about that. To to let the word of God richly dwell within us. And here's what I love about that verse. Luke chapter 11, verse 27 says this. This is Jesus speaking. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. James was Jesus' little brother. James did not initially believe that his brother was the son of God. And I don't blame James for that. Because if you've ever had a brother, you understand. If they make some bold claims, I you know, I've seen you run around in your underwear. Like I, I, I have, I have to believe that maybe there's something up here. So James, James doesn't initially believe. He actually think tells his brother to stop preaching and things like that. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, though, he's changed. He becomes a pillar in the church. He's eventually martyred for his faith. But here you have him repeating the words of his brother. That's how. Uh, moved or how changed he was. No longer was, was what his brother saying crazy. Now I realize these are the words of life that I must share with others. And so James says the same thing as Big Brother says, which is hear the word of God and do it. So when you come upon a command of the word, um, go ahead and do that. When Jesus says to, to pray in solitude, when Jesus says to pray with others, to, when he says to, to give, When he says to, um, uh, just anything that he says to do, we got to do it. We can't just understand it. We got to do it. And in that doing, there will be a blessing. And when I say blessing, I mean, well, you will just feel closer to the Lord because you're doing what he says. And to me, at the end of the day, it's not about what we can get out of Christ. It's about what we can do for Christ. Where are we at? I love the woman in that, by the way. Jesus is all preaching, and she's almost like a heckler. She's at the back of the crowd, like, hey, I'm just gonna be loud and boisterous, and Jesus says, I'm gonna have some attention for myself. And then Jesus does, like, this ultimate mic drop, like, No, blessed is who keeps the word, or does the word, or hears the word and keeps it, boom! Just walks away, just whipping his robe and walks away. And that lady, who knows who that lady was now? Matthew 7 and 26 says, And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And we're gonna talk about that some more in just a minute. So those are a few points about what we believe about the word. But here's the thing, so what? Let's just say all those things are true. There are thousands of books, maybe even millions of books that claim if you read them, life will be changed. Self-help books, diet books, philosophical books, quote-unquote sacred sacred writing. They claim that they're going to do the same thing that the Word of God does. But here's the claims and the promises that the Word of God gives to you that you can experience as the Word of God dwells in you richly. Number one, it provides for you a foundation. Back to Matthew 7 and 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, is Jesus giving us good tips on how to build houses? I guess so. I mean, he was a carpenter, so he probably has some type of insight on how to establish some type of a homestead, but it's more than that. He's using a parable or a metaphor to describe to us what it means to stand upon the word of God, to allow it to uh, be our foundation for everything, to not just let it be an accent or, or like a, like in, in cooking and being like a seasoning to, it's, it's gotta be everything to be our foundation. And Jesus promises that, that for those who stand upon the word of God. It's not that standing on the word of God will not prevent the storms from coming. It will prevent you from falling during the storms. The most, for me, the the, the Christians that I most revere, they're the ones I've seen stand in those storms and who come away saying, I stood not out of my own power. I stood because the Lord sustained me. And they experience that because they richly dwell or allow the, the word to lit, richly dwell within them. It's not about what the world can throw at them. It's about what the word of God has promised them. And even if, if physically or actually, literally, their house is blown down, they'll realize, but the house that God is building in me has not fallen. And times will be tough and suffering will be immense, but man, the Lord will be there through it all. If you want to stand in the storms of life, I see so many Christians, they, 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 oh, I got to stop the storm. I got to stop the storm. You know, Jesus can stop the storm, but if the storm comes, man, you got to be ready to stand up. You got to prepare. You got to get the proverbial milk and bread and get in the basement. You got to stand upon the word of God to be ready to withstand whatever storm is coming because God uses storms for renewal. He always has and he always will. Number two, the Word of God for us, what does it do? It's directional. It provides for us a, a, a sort of GPS to know where to go next. One of my favorite verses, one of the, mo- the most foundational verses of my own personal life is Psalm 119 105 it says the word or excuse, excuse me, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." I love that verse for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, if you read it too fast you think, oh, it, it's light so I can see everything. You know, and he says, your word's a lamp to my feet. Have you ever gone outside with a lantern? Um, I got this lantern for Christmas and I used it to go outside to get uh, firewood. And I noticed if I hold it up like this, I can't see anything because it's, it's blinding me. It's like, oh, this isn't helping me. I can't see anything. But if I hold it down like this, it illuminates the path before me. I can't see my whole backyard. I can't see forever and ever, but I can see right in front of me. I can see right where I need to go next. So many Christians are inundated by the plan that God has for them. When the the reality is, the question is, what is the next step for me? If you make the next step over and over and over and over and over again, you'll eventually find yourself following the path of God almost inadvertently because you're looking for that next step. And the word of God illuminates that next step for you. And how does God do that? Well, he does that personally with each, each and every one of you. For me, the per- next personal step in my life is going to be different than yours. But I will not see that without the word of God. I will see it most clearly through his word. And I can attest to you that experientially for myself, nothing has been more true. I stand here before you today, series of next steps, lit by the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit. Number three, it sustains. Matthew 4 and 4. This is Jesus in the desert being tempted by Satan. Satan, Jesus has been uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water, and and that's when Satan shows up. Do not think that Satan showed up on that 40th day not on purpose. He could have showed up on day two. He could have showed up on day 20. Okay, showed up on day thirty nine. He waited that full forty days to wait till Jesus was at his weakest point to then begin test him. I, I would encourage you and, and admonish you today to know that Satan will most test you when you are most tired, when you are most hungry, when you are most vulnerable. And so you turn to the words of Jesus and see what he does and do the same thing. Matthew four and four, Jesus quotes when um, Satan tells him, Hey, you're hungry, turn those stones into bread. Jesus says, A man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Throughout the word of God, there's this this great metaphor that, that the Lord uses about his word being like food. And Can you think of something more universal than food? I mean, cultures and generations, I mean, everybody understands food. And the necessity for food and the pleasure that comes from food and the camaraderie that comes from gathering around a meal and food. And Jesus says, you know, food's good. There's nothing wrong with food, but it's not about food. Man will not live by bread alone. He'll live by bread and the word of God. The word of God will sustain you in those times of of, of dryness. When you are feeling as though th- the experience of Jesus is few and far between. It's that word of God that will sustain you. And could Jesus miraculously change that bread that stone to bread? I think, number one, I think he wasn't going to do it just because Satan said so. I think he could have done it before that, but he decided, I can't do what he says. This guy's a moron. I'm not going to do what he says. I, I just have to, out of obstinance, can't listen to Satan. So I cannot turn these stones to bread. Um, I, don't, I don't read in the word where Jesus had to do that, where Jesus had to, to not turn the stones to bread. And so I say to you, it's not that Jesus can't do something miraculous in your life today. He absolutely can. He can turn the water of your life into wine. He can turn the stones into the bread. But he wants you also to learn to be sustained by the word of God. He wants you to to get this and realize this is everything for us. It's not just good ideas or ideologies. It's not just a a, a politically motivated, you know, whatever. This is the word of God, and it will sustain you in the darkest, driest times. Hebrews 1 and 3 says... He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We are nourished spiritually by God through his word. Number four, it matures us. And Pastor Mike hit on this last week. I hope he took notes on that. I'm gonna use the same verse he used. 1 Peter 2 and uh, and 2 says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Paul uses that metaphor of spiritual milk in the negative. He says, "I I can't bring you spiritual meat because you're not ready for it. I gotta give you spiritual milk still. You've regressed. But Peter says, look, start with the milk and then grow. Babies, they grow rapidly, don't they? I mean, they're born and then six months and then they're walking and then you know, then they're, you know, they're talking and then they're grabbing stuff and then they're in kindergarten and then they're going on a date and then they're driving and, and then they're in college and then they have their own kids. I mean, it's blink of an eye fast. And so as we watch these children grow, it's that same progression that we should be seeing in our lives as Christians. If we have not seen spiritual growth, and, and I'm not here to judge anybody's status in life right now spiritually, Make your own assessment. Where am I at now? Where was I five years ago? Where was I 10 years ago? How far have I moved in that time? What did I do in that time to procure that growth? And if I still keep doing that, that's how much I'll grow in the future. We won't just magically all of a sudden start growing more by doing the same exact thing we will grow more as we delve more into the word of God and, again, have it dwell richly within us. Like a baby, we'll eventually grow up. We'll become more mature. We won't be tossed and turned by every new theological thing that comes down the pike. You know, some new teaching, or this or that, or whatever. One of the reasons why we're, uh, or one of the major themes of, of 1 John, um, and really uh, a lot of the gospel that he wrote he was, a, he was going after to correct the teachings of the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that Jesus was spirit and that, that uh, a lot of the things he accomplished was because of the spirit, that the flesh was inherently evil. And we believe that as well, but they, they decided, well, since the flesh is inherently evil, we can do whatever we want with the flesh because it's already corrupted. So that led to all types of sin infiltrating the church. So John has to step up by the power of the Holy Spirit and share with them, look, this is what the word of God says. This is who Jesus is. And and, and, and that contradicts everything. Those those Christians that were engaging in this Gnostic activity were babies again. And they had to start with the spiritual milk and that's what John brings to them. Number five, and this is my favorite and I'm gonna dwell here for just a minute. The word of God sets you free. Now I want you to hear that word for just a moment. I, I cannot stress enough how beautiful, how magnificent, how incredible the thought of being set free is. One of the things the word describes to us is our state, not after, not just after Jesus, but before Jesus. It talks about us being dead in our sins. It talks about us being shackled by sin. It talks about how before Christ, you know, so many people see. See, joining Christ as, as kind of, well, it's all stuff I have to stop doing now, and I'm going to do the straight and narrow. And yeah, there's things you're going to stop doing, and you are in the straight and narrow, but you've got to realize that's liberation compared to where you were. Jesus says you're either a slave to him or a slave to sin. There is no, there is no other direction. You're going to serve Satan. You're going to serve Jesus. Nobody can serve two masters. John 8 and 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had, believed, who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and you have never, uh, excuse me, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say, You will become set free? Let me give you some context. This is one of those theological sparring matches that Jesus is having with the, uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They've come to catch Jesus and question him and try to one-up him to show him that he's inferior to them because they are the, they are the uh, spiritual elite of the time and of the generation. And they, and they say things like, we're, we're offspring of Abraham, so we're set free, all the while hoping and yearning for someone to come liberate them from Rome. Few people have been enslaved more and more frequently than the Jews. And in this time, they're free to exist within their own world, but if they step out of line, Rome's going to come in and take away from them whatever little freedom they have. And Jesus says, no, he's not talking about politically. He's not talking about generationally. He's not talking about, you know, culturally. He says, you'll be set free because the word of God abides in you. You'll be set free from the shackles of sin, Satan, and death. I want you to understand that, what you go through now, the trials you go through now, they're just that, they're trials. They're meant to refine you. They're meant to make you stronger. They're meant to give you a better testimony. They're meant to change you from the man you were to the man you're going to be. And we can ask God to remove them, but what you're going to find is that the more you ask God to remove something, He's instead going to give you a will to complete those things. He's not going to make it easier for you, He's going to give you a stronger back. Spiritually speaking. I'm here to tell you that's the better route. That's the high road. That's the straight and narrow. There will be times where things are are from the enemy and God will save you from them because they will not be a part of his plan to prosper you. And they may end in in your detriment. But there are things that the Lord will allow in your life so that you will grow because there is no other way for you to grow. Prosperity does not grow you. Trial strengthens you. And so Jesus says, you will know, if you abide in his word, if you abide in his word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Today, if you've given your life to Christ, you are in bondage to no man. Unfortunately, sometimes we go back to those bonds. We go back and, 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 and metaphorically speaking, we go and we pick up the shackles and we put them back on ourselves. Maybe, we, maybe we, this happens through addiction and mindsets. and Maybe we lose sight of Christ and, and we go and revert back to old ways. There's a misconception that if you give your life to Jesus, none of that will happen ever again. It's true that it might not, but that temptation will always exist. You might be 10, 15, 20 years out from wherever the Lord has delivered you from, and that temptation might still be the same. But you've been set free. And you can hear that intellectually. I'm here to tell you, you won't know it without being in the word of God because Jesus says, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth. Then you will know experientially that you have been set free. You will feel the burden lifted. You will feel the, 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 the weight taken off of your shoulders. You will feel like that new man. And even when Satan comes to tell you, no, you're not, you're the same old person. Look at you, you sinned yesterday, you did this, you do that, you can just not even respond. I do not encourage anybody, if you feel like you're being tempted by Satan or something demonic, do not respond. I hear all these wonky weirdo thing, you gotta call out names. And no, no, do not engage with the enemy. That's Jesus's job. You let Jesus do that. You let Jesus fight those battles for you. God will fight you. You just stand still. Just be still and know that He is God. Last thing we believe about the Word is that Jesus is the Word. John 1 1 1 says In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the embodiment of the word of God. Everything in the word of God eventually points back to Jesus. If you've ever read, excuse me, if you've ever read the the account of David and Goliath, brief overview David shows up at the camp the camp of the Israelites are scared Goliath this giant mountain of a man is threatening them somebody come fight me one on one whoever wins takes over and of course nobody in Israel is big enough apparently all their eyes are off the Lord and here shows up David this this ruddy little man the Bible says this teenage kid tending sheep because he's the youngest and that's what his brothers made him do his brothers are in battle they're just as scared as everybody else And he stands up and he, famous slingshot, stone in the forehead, kills Goliath. Cuts off his head. They always leave that part out and I think that's the most awesome part. Like this little kid just went and just cut off some guy's head after beating him. It's battle, battle's gruesome. But you always leave that out of the kid's story, right? And so we're always taught, be like David. Be like David, go out there and slay your Goliaths. Jesus is a better David. Jesus has come, and with next to nothing, he's destroyed the giants in your life. When you have giants in your life, let Jesus be Jesus. Let him be the better David in your life. Don't don't try to be David. Let Jesus be David. You be the one standing behind Jesus, pointing and laughing, (laughs) giving Jesus more stones. Like, just go for it, Jesus. Take him down. Is praying and seeking the lord because ultimately ultimately i believe without a shadow of a doubt and i don't want to get too crazy about this because we'll be here all day the current political climate of our country is nothing more than a ploy to get our eyes off christ i don't care if you're right left democrat republican doesn't matter the point is to get your eyes off of jesus but they said who cares what does jesus say What does his word say? Well, I know all this about the ninth district court and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but what what does 1 John say about testing the spirits? Can you tell me anything about that? Uh, Well, maybe that's why your life is not set free because you're richly dwelling in all of these other things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they take the place of God's word, now they've become bad. And your life will reflect that. You might be really astute at politics or whatnot but you'll be really poor at the word of God. And you'll use the word of God as a weapon for your own agenda rather than as a weapon to slay the sin in your life. You'll find verses that will support your cause rather than what is God's cause. We believe that because Jesus and the word are one, we believe that it is infallible and inerrant. Infallible meaning it is incapable of making mistakes. Inerrant meaning it is incapable of being wrong. No other book can make that claim. You go back to the first part of the sermon, that's why we believe that. Prophecy, Jesus confirming it, changing of lives. We also believe that it's eternal. Matthew 24 and 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything that everybody's ever said will eventually be forgotten no matter how many memes have been made for it on Facebook, no matter how many people quote it and put it on their timeline, no matter how many people get tattoos of them and and all kinds of uh, different things, everybody else's words will pass away, but not Jesus's. What he has said will last for eternity because he is eternal. His word will be as true in heaven as it is here. We have not come to change it. We have not come to add to it. We have not come to take away from it. We believe that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. As a Christian church, we stand upon the Word. We stand underneath the Word. We do not take authority over it. We are under the authority of it. When the Word says something, we don't try to change it. We don't try to make it more palatable for our culture. We don't try to say, well, that was then, this is now. We believe Jesus' truth is the same today, yesterday, and forever as He is. And unless He has changed, nothing in His Word has changed. So what, how do we practically respond to that? Number one, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Christ. Just give your life to Jesus. I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm ready to follow you. I don't even know what that means, but here I am. I believe that you're the son of God. Be the Lord of my life. Take me, change me, shape me, mold me, stretch me. Make me yours. Pray. Pray for yourself, pray for others, pray for the world, pray for the church. You know, just as a side note, please be praying for your leadership of the church. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, uh, from us, the Kesslers, the Baileys, and the Muirs, we have all been put through the ringer this first six weeks of the year. Through death and sickness and illness, just not relenting. I believe that the Lord is doing something to make us stronger, and I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with Satan trying to capitalize upon it. So if you could pray uh, just remember us in your prayers uh, so that we might keep going as the year goes on. But pray, talk to Jesus. I stress to my kids, our, my prayer with my kids is very simple. We just talk, hey, Jesus, you know, thank, you for, thank you we got to go get pizza today. And thank you that you know we got to watch a movie. And thank you uh, for everything. And pray for this person and that person. And then help us to serve and love uh, our community and our church tomorrow and each other. Amen. That's pretty much what we pray. Praying is simple. No these and thous are necessary. Just talk to Jesus with reverence. Come to him like a child. That's enough. Read your Bible. Make time for yourself. Trust me, in a a time of binge-watching television on things like Netflix and Hulu, there is plenty of time to read. Maybe... Maybe it's not about reading the word. Maybe it's about hearing the word of God. The Bible says our faith is built by that. Um, if you have a Bible app on your phone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever, it'll read to you. It is, we live in a technological, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Paradise, if you will. We, we, we Utopia, that was the word I was looking for. It'll read it to us and, and, and read along with it as it reads to you. It's not about reading the words, it's about making time to do so. So maybe you wake up a little early, go to bed a little late, maybe on your lunch break, maybe on some other break, maybe uh, on your commute you're putting it in your car stereo through CDs or MP3s or whatnot. The point is find a time. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, as much as you possibly can. Make that time. I, trust me, you make time for everything. Everybody does. I'm a very busy man. I run a business. I have to... You know, be here at the church and do things. I got two kids. And I don't I can't stand here as a perfect example. I just understand the reality of my life and have to make time to do that. Be in community. This is this is being in community. Going out and having coffee with people from the church, that's being in community. Just being friends. You know, coming to potlucks and midweek services with the Kesslers at their house or here at the chapel women's group and men's group and the different things that we do. Just be in community. Why? Because as you are with other Christians, you will begin to grow. The Bible speaks of how iron sharpens iron. And we as people grow just the same way that iron gets sharper as it sharpens itself. As we come together, there might be a lot of sparks, there might be some conflict, but we'll grow and we'll develop and we'll indeed become brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, Christian life is not that complicated. Meaning, Um, it's very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Give your life to Jesus, pray, read your Bible, be in community. If you are doing these four things, and giving your life to Jesus is a constant thing, it's not just a decision you make, I mean, it's every day I've decided to follow Jesus, world behind me, cross before me, I'm gonna carry my cross today. You will begin to see your life change. Something will happen. And in this country, we're so fickle. Like, the smallest little, oh, I got a toothache. Jesus hates me. Or he's not there. Like, come on, people get toothaches. But you'll go through those things, you'll be like, okay, Jesus has got this. I need to stay faithful. The storm's come. I gotta stand. How am I gonna, what am I gonna stand on? I am gonna stand on the word of God and its promises. He's not gonna leave me nor forsake me. All things will be used for good for those who are called according to uh, God's purpose uh, you know what, what what is intended for evil be used for good I mean these are the promises that God has given us to stand upon Jesus is Lord he's at the right hand of his father who will turn one day to get me and this will all be a faint memory if that so church that's what we believe about the Bible we're gonna pray and then we'll just take a few moments of Q&A if anybody has a question uh, we're probably snowed in anyway so you might as well make, make <laughs> good use of our time um, let's pray, Jesus. Um, there, your word is altogether simple, but it's not easy. It's, it's, it's so big, yet yet children can comprehend it, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you have given us this revelation of your word. I pray, Lord, not just for understanding of your word today, but I pray that there would be a hunger that you would create in us an appetite for your word and for the appetite we already have, Lord, that maybe we're sustaining with something else. Maybe something's taken the place of that appetite or is being filled by that appetite. Let us recognize that and see what we're using in the place of your word. What has become our functional savior or our, our functional word to sustain us during the storms? May we see the futility of it when we see how fragile it is that it's not actually sustaining us and that it's actually working against us because it's the wrong thing in the wrong place. Lord, help us to see your word with fresh eyes. Grab us, Lord. Uh, Your word is, is, is so much. and Our brains are not so much. So give us more than our own power to comprehend and to know your word, a desire and a love for it so we might grow and be sanctified and be changed by it. That we might be an example to the community of what Christ can do in someone's life. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'll open up the floor if anybody has any questions about the Bible or Jesus or the church or anything in general. Take a couple minutes and we'll pray, or we'll ask away. Don't all go at once. Nice. You guys all went at once. Okay, I'll go with Samantha and then Bree. Go for it, Sam. I don't think we took it the wrong way. I don't think anybody took the wrong way. Nobody came up to me after service like, that's Samantha, how dare she? No, and it's, thank you for sitting where you're sitting. I can see you today. Like I saw your hand shoot right up because you're not behind the pole. Uh, So last week, Sam had said she had seen a a, a considerable difference in her life and her feeling and just life in general because she had been reading her word more morning and night, like she had said. And I likened it to working out. Like working out's the worst, right? I mean, Bree, you work at a gym. It's the worst, right? You are you are lying in church. Working out's the worst, okay? So and <laughs> Bree's not an expert. So <laughs> my point is this, but once you start doing it, you do actually start like, okay, I start seeing the benefit I start I'm breathing. I'm not getting winded when I peel an orange. I'm starting to feel good about my like I'm my body feels good and 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 I can see why people do this. I and you start contemplating things like running, which is just Insane, and uh, come on, Matt. I, I used to watch people run track. Like that's just as fun. Uh, <laughs> but my point is, once you start doing, it you can't describe the benefits to somebody from the outside. They'll never hear that. You can't say, "Oh, the, the word of God." Well, you got to read about. Because they'll be, like, "Yeah, okay." But once they start, it's like, "Okay, I see where this is all about." And. uh you should work out, and it's good for you. I, I guess I have to say that because the Bible talks about it. But uh, I eat a lot more than just potato chips, dude. Come on. You don't get this big on just potato chips. Okay. Uh, thank you for saying that. Bree, what is your question? Okay. So, I have breakfast, yeah. That's fine. Challenge accepted. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, go for it. They all build upon each other. So the word says that it's the word of God. So it is the word of God. Okay, so it's not going to claim otherwise, right? right? Um, So how do we test that claim? Well, think about the incredible accuracy of so many verses that back up each other. And one of the points I forgot to add to my sermon, but I'll add it now. When you think about how it was written by some like 44 different authors over thousands of years, um, over cultures and generations, different places, and how they somehow all came together collectively and all said the same thing. To me, that it's more than coincidental. There's that aspect to it. Um, and then you deal with uh, Jesus confirming it and saying, you know, him quoting the word of God. He's not quoting the Koran. He's not quoting any other sacred book. He's quoting the Old Testament at that point. Um, and then you have the prophecy, which... The Bible claims that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin, that he'd be betrayed for 30 coins, that he'd be crucified or, or pierced for our transgressions, that he'd be buried with a rich man. And all of those things came to take place. Um, so we can look at the prophecy okay, and say, okay, the word says it's the word, and Jesus says it's the word, and prophecy is accurate, and I see people who shouldn't be here At all, but I see their lives changed by the word of God and there's no other element of change in their life and so you put those together they build upon each other and you begin to say okay it's either the word of God or it's not it's not like there's not like a middle ground so that's where that's where I would I think that's a very good question and you should I'm a big proponent of questioning everything Um, I think that you read the Psalms and and those men who wrote the Psalms were like God where are you that's a big question and he allows them to do that, and he answers those questions for his children. And I think that's a good thing to question, especially when you come in reverence and realize, God, I know you're God, and I know this, and I know that, but here's the question I have. And he's very faithful to answer those questions. So does that help, or? Yeah. Right. Right yeah, and, and it comes down to uh, testing it as well. I mean, what ha- so I, I watched an interview this last week. If anybody watches Stephen Colbert at night, I don't because I don't have cable, but I watch clips online sometimes. and he had a, an actor named Ricky Gervais on there. He's creator of the office, incredibly funny, talented man, but uh, publicly uh, he's an atheist, agnostic, but by, by admittingly publicly agnostic atheist. And so Stephen Colbert who's a Roman Catholic they began to talk about theology and the belief of God and Jesus and all that and and his point Ricky Gervais's point was why his faith was more in science than anything else was that if you you know if you destroyed every science book on the planet Uh, and you uh, start over from scratch, eventually you'd come to the same theories again. you discover the same things over and over again. But if you destroyed all the sacred writings, those would probably never come up again, or those would never come up again. That was his claim. I thought, wow, that's a really good point. Like, I thought, well, you know, I'm not threatened by things like that. Like, that made me think. But then I, I went back to the Word, and I thought, you know, but the Word has come back and back. The Word has been written by various Authors over various times, and there's been times to snuff it out, and it keeps coming back. No matter how much persecution, or how it's outlawed, or how it's uh, uh, burned, it doesn't matter. God's word is eternal. It just keeps, ha- it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. It may take centuries or, or generations, but eventually, oh, this book, we found it in the book of, I believe it's in either First Kings. Or First Chronicles is a story of this king, and Israel's a big mess. Temple worship is a joke. Nobody's following the commands of God, and they go back into the temple and they dust off some stuff. And secret chamber opens. That's just the Indiana Jones version in my head. But dust off the thing, it opens up, and they find all these scrolls. And like, what are these scrolls back here? They're all dusty. And, and open it up. Oh, it's the law of God. This is what we're supposed to be following. Generations had passed, the word of God being there the whole time, and now it was back. Back in the sense that the the people went back to it, and when they went back to it, everything changed in Israel, at least for a time. Eventually, they get judged and exiled to Babylon because of rebellion and disobedience, but that being said, God's word keeps coming back. God's word outlasts the fire of the testing of the world. And so, I love when people question the Bible. I love when they challenge uh, the Bible and why this and why that. And I don't always have the answers, but I'm glad that atheists ask questions like that. It challenges my mind to look for new answers and not just be like, well, you know, it's the basic instructions before leaving earth and blah, blah, blah. It's not gonna help anybody. You gotta have real answers for their real questions or they're gonna write you off and just say like, you're another kook. I need, to, I need real answers to these questions. And so pray for Ricky Gervais so he finds Jesus and... and uh, knows the joy of that. Anything else? All right, let's pray and go home. Jesus, you are the best. You are amazing. You are our our all in all. And today, Lord, I pray that you are glorified through your word, by your word, for your people. Your word describes you as that serpent raised up on a pole as Moses lifted it up in the desert and people were healed, that that is what has happened to you so that we might be healed from our sin and from our transgressions and from our iniquities. Father, thank you for taking sinners like us and making us into saints and leading us and guiding us through your word. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, God bless. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, If you missed any dates for upcoming events, just check the whiteboard out there and we will see you Wednesday here at the chapel at seven or at the Kesslers at six?